I think about my life and the, and the struggles that I've had and the breakthroughs that I've had, I can honestly say the greatest breakthroughs in my life are when I threw my hands up. And when I said, Lord, I don't, I don't know what else to do. I've been, I've been doing everything in my natural power, but now I'm just going to take my hands off and I'm going to release it to you. And I'm going to ask you to do what only you can do. Those are the moments that God showed up in my life. And he's no respecter of persons. Maybe there's a situation, circumstance in your life that you're dealing with right now. I want to encourage you, take your hands off of it. It's not in your power. Scripture says, not by might, not by power. It's by the Spirit of God that things change and happen. So I'm going to ask you one more time, would you put your hands up? Lord, as your people, we raise our hands. We surrender to you everything. Lord, anything that's not of you, we release it back. We, we let go of it. We, we surrender it. And Lord, with open hands, take everything you have for us. Whatever you want for us, we want all of it. Lord, those that are struggling today, remind them there's a lion inside of them. And when they open their mouth, things change. When we speak your word, when we release your word through our mouth by faith, we can expect amazing things to happen. Lord, I ask you to bless your people today in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. You can be seated. Would you give it up one more time for the worship team? I looked, I looked up a minute ago and I thought Dave Matthews was leading worship for us today. I was waiting to hear a little yee-haw out of Philip over there, a little South Louisiana jig. How y'all doing today? Man, it's a packed house here. Summer at IFC is in full effect. So excited you're here today. Would you do me a favor? Would you make some noise for our friends watching around the world today? Hey, God bless you. We love you. Thanks for taking time to be in, in the service with us today. I, I know you're going to be blessed. And if I haven't had a chance to meet you personally, my name's Josh. This is my wife, Stephanie. And on behalf of our team, our elders, our staff, we just want to say welcome home. We're so glad. Maybe some of you got dragged here today. I promise you it's not going to be that bad. Some of you came on your own. Thank you for coming. I, I have great expectation. We're starting a new series today. Hey, before I get into that, hey, our team from the Dominican is home. We had a team go to the Dominican Republic. Their home. Pastor Earl, would you stand? Pastor Earl led that team. They got home yesterday through some crazy travel in New York. I'm excited to, um, to welcome you home. Can't, hear, can't wait to hear all the good reports. Hey, one more. Our friends Greg and Krista Baca are here from Tulsa. Longtime friends of Steph and I. Thank you guys for taking time to be with us. We're pumped you're here today. Ah, one more. How about Derek Fry? Were you guys here last week? Pastor Derek, do okay? Should we have him back? I like him having, I like him in the building just because he's big. Just let people know we ain't messing around around here. I'm grateful for Pastor Derek and his leadership. He's been just such a great anchor uh, in relation with Steph and I as the pastors, but also to this church. He sees he's an overseer here, and so I'm grateful that he would step in while we, we were on vacation with our family. Today we're going to start a new series called The Bible. Would you say the Bible? You know, some of the old Bibles, they say the Holy Bible on there. You got one of those? And that word holy, it means sacred. It, it means set apart. And, and the word Bible, it, it, it just means book. 
And when you put those together, it just means it's a sacred book. And, and I want to talk about that for the next three weeks. We have a lot of brand new people at church, brand new to faith, people just giving their hearts to the Lord and starting this journey. And I couldn't think of a better series than to, to begin talk about the importance of the Bible. Everybody say the Bible. Would you say this to me? The Bible, just repeat this out. The Bible is God speaking to me. God's will is his word. And for the next few weeks, uh, Steph and I are going to share the pulpit. I, I, I'm really pumped about this because I think when you understand the Bible, you understand yourself. The more you understand the Bible, you understand yourself. I'll say it in a minute, but I'm going to get ahead of myself. You know, sometimes we read the Bible, but more importantly, it's imperative that we let the Bible read us. You ever thought about that? Some of us read Bible out of repetition, out of habit, or out of, hey, yeah, I read my Bible today. Yeah, I read my Bible. We do it out of duty. And really, I think as we get into it, my prayer is that, that you would fall in love with the Bible and that you would begin to let the Bible read your life. And my prayer is this, that, 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 that as we read it, that we would grow in it, that we would learn from it, and that we would live from it. And so I want to pray for you right at the beginning of the series because I, I don't want this just to be another series. If you know anything about me, I don't like routine. And so I automatically screw up routines on purpose. Like I'll do something for a season, and then after a while, someone says, you still doing that routine? I'm like, no, I'm done with that. I'm like, oh, you quit, huh? And I'm like, no, it just got old. It was boring. I needed something new and fresh. And that's what we're doing with the series. This isn't a typical series for, for, for someone like me. I'm more of a preacher. I, I want to pump you up. I want to encourage you. I like to send you out, you know, like, man, let's go get them. And I'm going to be honest with you, this is a difficult message for me because I'm having to put on the teacher hat today. And I'm going to teach a little bit. The next two weeks I'm going to teach. So pray for me, but I will pray for you, okay? Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it's forever settled in heaven. Lord, I declare that your word is supreme authority in this house. And I declare that we are word-first people led by your spirit. I ask you to illuminate the scriptures uh, as we study them, as we unpack them. Lord, I pray for your for your people, that they would hear what you'd have them to hear in this season. Give them a heart to receive it, and I, I ask you for myself, give me boldness to declare your word as you've placed it in my heart. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. And for many of you, you know a little bit of my story. I, I grew up in a, in a pastor's home. My parents were church planters, and, and, and the word of God was like first and foremost in everything. And as a kid, I thought my parents were like leading a cult. I've said that to you before because everything was so dogmatic spiritually. It was like, well, what's the Bible say? I'd say, hey, dad, what do you, what do you, what do you have? And I'd have a, a life question. He'd say, I don't know. What's the Bible say? And I was like, I don't know. I'm not reading the Bible. That's why I'm asking you. And then I'd ask him something else. And Hey, what do you, what do you think about this? And he'd say, well, it doesn't really matter what I think. What does the Bible say? And as a kid, when you're sick, and you're like, I don't feel so good, uh, my stomach hurts, I think I should skip school. Well, what do you think, Dad? Can I skip school? And he'd say, oh, uh, what does the Bible say? And I'd say, it doesn't say anything about skipping school. I think I should skip school. He said, well, it does say you're the heel of the Lord, so get up and arise by faith and go to school, young man, you know? And that was kind of our life. I was frustrated with, with all the responses coming back to, what's the Bible say? What's the Bible say? What's the Bible say? What does the Bible say? And I'll be honest with you, as a young person, and there's some young people in here, that may be the response your parents give you. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't like it then, but I love it now. 
Because I realize that life's questions and the answers that I need, uh, our parents are supposed to play a part in that, but the word is actually supposed to be the supreme truth in our life. I I was in in counseling recently, and and by the way, you should be in counseling too. Don't look at me like I'm crazy. Turn to your neighbor and say, you a little crazy too. Turn to your other neighbor and say, you got issues, bro. You got issues, so don't judge me for going to counseling. But, you know, when you, when you start counseling, the first thing they say is, well, hey, let's go back. Take me back to your childhood. What was it like? And all I can remember is we grew up in church, and the Bible was everything. It was everything. It was the supreme authority in our life. I like to say it this way. I was raised in the Word because my parents were grounded and rooted in the Word. Romans ten seventeen says, so faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. That was kind of a staple verse in our, in our home, and, and I, I want to ask you to make that a staple verse for your life. So would you just repeat it with me? So then faith, so then faith comes by hearing, comes by hearing. and hearing by, hearing by the Word of God. Word. One more time. So then, so then faith, comes faith comes by hearing, by hearing. And, hearing and hearing, and hearing, and more hearing, more and a little bit more hearing, from the Word. So let me ask you, where does your faith come from? Where does faith come from? Where does it come from? I didn't hear you. Where does it come from? All right, second, second service is alive today. Faith comes from hearing from the Word of God. And I, I, I will assume two things today. Number one, you came today because you want to be around other people that you want to get to know. The polls were taken uh, and it's been pulled for, for decades. The number one people, the number one reason people go to church is they want to meet other people. They desire community. They desire friendships. They, they want to grow together. That's number one. The second reason is they come to church because they want to grow in their faith. They want to grow in their faith. So how does faith come? It comes by hearing the word of God. And, and this is what I want to really get down to uh, uh, for the next couple of weeks. That the more that we're in the word, the more your faith grows. And some of us are stuck in life and we're frustrated because we don't have enough faith for this or that or whatever. And the Bible says, man, if you have faith for it, you can have it. And there's a lot of people searching for faith in different areas of, of, of society and life. And I said this a few weeks ago, astrology and, and crazy stuff. They're looking for, for faith to be grown. But the truth is, we just found out faith only comes through the hearing of the Word of God. Second Timothy, Paul said, all Scripture, everybody say all. All Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful. Your Bible's useful. What's it useful for? It's for useful for teaching rebuking. We all love that one, don't we? We want to be rebuked and we want to rebuke somebody else. (laughs) Old school Pentecostals, I'll rebuke you. Useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, which is right standing with God. For what? So for, for what purpose? So that us as the servants of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I'm going to tell you this, you can't do what God's called you to do and fulfill your purpose or your destiny without a life anchored in the Word. I'll say it over here. It's going to be very difficult for you to even succeed in life and be above average without an anchor of the Word in your life. Because as your faith grows, it sets you apart. 
few years ago before Steph and I moved here, it was 2014, 2015-ish, and, and the Lord was really speaking stuff to me in, in, in a different way, and I just started writing the stuff out, uh, and I, I started writing stuff on sticky notes. Do you leave yourself notes around the house? You should. You should put stuff around your house, and I put this note on our kitchen cabinet, and it said, it's faith that sets you apart. It's faith that sets us apart. Faith in what? Faith in Him through His Word. What is it that's going to separate us as believers? What's it, what is it that's going to cause us to be able to be who we're called to be, light and salt, and go into all the world and preach the gospel? It's going to be us anchored in the Word so that we can be equipped for the calling. Everybody say, I'm called. The Word is the source of our faith, and it carries in it the equipment that is required to thrive in this life. I want to give you three little points here. Right up front, if you're taking notes, uh, you should be, by the way. Take some notes today. I'm going to put all the points in the scriptures on the screen, but I'm going to go fast today. Everybody say he's going to go fast. Some of y'all are like, he goes fast every week. <laughs> I, I realize some of us, this isn't your first language, and so I speak fast, and they come up and say, I, I have no idea what you said. I, we, I said, I'm from the South. I just like to talk fast, but, but I want to I preach two messages together. Okay, you ready? Two messages in 26 minutes. The first one is, I think there's a response to God's word that we need to have. There's a response. As believers, we have a, an option to respond. And here's the, the first response of a believer is we need to fall in love with the word of God. A lot of us would claim we love Jesus, right? Raise your hand. You say, I love Jesus. But here's the thing. You can't love Jesus without loving his word. And here's the thing. You're not loving Jesus as much as you think you are if you're not opening his word. Those two are tongue and groove. Your response to the word is a, is, a, is a reaction to your love for him. Because I love you, I want to know what you have for my life. I want to know what you're speaking to me. I want to know the word so I can live it out. I want to I be obedient. Our greatest response to, the, to God's call in our life is, is to do what he told us to do. I can only do what he's told me to do if I get in his word. So the first response for us as believers is to, to, to learn to love God's word. Psalm 119, he said, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it day and night. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me, and it makes me wiser than my enemies. You want to be wiser than your enemies? I do. How many of you got some enemies? Put your hands down. Put your hands down. I was, that was a rhetorical question. We, we all want to be wiser than everybody around us, even those that we like and those that we don't like, but especially those we don't like. I don't want to look foolish in front of them. I want to set them straight. The only way you're wiser than them is to invest the Word of God in your life by loving it. That's the first response. The second response is to learn the Word. Everybody say, I got to learn something. I don't know about you, but I didn't, I didn't like school. I didn't really like learning. But if we're going to walk in God's favor, we're going to have to learn the Word through listening to it, reading it, and studying it. Listening to God's Word like podcasts. I think it's important that we feed ourselves the Word in our ears. I see y'all walking around with that one earbud all the time. What's up with the one earbud? They come in sets of two. All the teenagers walk around. They got one earbud in. I'm like, bro, there's two earbuds, and I want to say this to you. It'd be good to put one earbud in so you can hear the word. But man, if you surrounded yourself with two earbuds and blocked out the word, the world, you'd hear more of the word, the word. Well, I want to challenge this. 
Feed yourself daily through listening to the word. Today you've come, you've, you've, you've been diligent to obey. Come to church and, and hear the word, but then it comes down to reading it and then studying it. Matthew 7 says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, he's the wise man that built his house on the rock. Hunter and I and the family, we were at the beach a few weeks ago just tooling around. We didn't really, we went to eat seafood and ended up walking down to the beach and the sand was moving around and, and he said to me, he said, this is kind of like the foolish man, isn't it, dad? And I didn't click with me at the beginning. I said, what are you talking about? He said, you know, the foolish man who built his house on the sand. I was like, bro, you're eight. <laughs> he said, well, they were teaching us that upstairs in kids' church a few weeks ago. Amen. And I thought, man, sometimes he doesn't even want to go to kids' church. But you know what happens when we put our kids in kids' church? The word is going in their ears and down into their hearts. Listen to this. Every week we have uh, students. In fact, uh, some of our students are in here, and some of them, a lot of them are up in small groups today. But your parents, you say, my kid doesn't want to go to, to the block. They don't like the block. They think Pastor Phillip's a loser. Just kidding. He's my buddy. I get to pick on him from time to time. I don't like Pastor Phillip. Blah, 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 blah. And they come home and rant and rave about youth ministry and it stinks and it's this, that. Listen, by the way, categorize that with everything else they say sucks in their life. Because a teenager, everything sucks all the time. Nothing's good. But here's what I know. When our kids go back there and they hear the word, the Holy Spirit is speaking to them even when they're not listening to it by just being in proximity to that environment. I'm giving a plug for you parents. Don't allow your kids to tell you what they're going to do and what they're not going to do. Get them in an environment of faith where they hear the word of God. And all the teenagers said, I'm going to youth. I ain't coming back in the main service again. <laughs> we read God's word, Matthew 4. He said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We, 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 well, let me back up. I'll take it for me. There's not many days where I skip a meal. Like I wake up in the morning hungry. And then I'm like straight to the coffee pot. And then, I, and then I, and like in my spirit, man, I smell bacon and eggs cooking. And I'm like, I'm led over to the refrigerator and I unload that stuff. And, and guess what? I feed myself. And then around noon, I'm hungry again. How many of you get hungry at lunchtime? Oh, you liars. I get hungry. So what I do, I said, let's go eat some food. Let's eat some food. Then at dinner, I, I eat again another big meal. And then guess what? After the kids go down, I go back down. And then I find the Ben and Jerry's that I didn't want them to eat. And I dip into that. Like, like there's not many days that I don't feed myself way more than I should. I'm just saying, a lot of us in this room, you can identify with me. I'm not going to look around. You would say, I probably eat more than I should. And what he's saying is, if you eat a lot naturally, shouldn't you feel yourself spiritually? Like your spirit, man, we're, we want to build our natural bodies, but we need to build our spiritual bodies too. Uh, and, and the next one is just studying God's word. I'll talk about this more next week, but it's important that you own a Bible. And, and I want to say this to you, this isn't the Bible don't hate on me. This isn't the Bible. This is an iPad that you've downloaded the Bible app to. And I, I preach from it every week. I'm, 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 a, I'm a fan of it. But, but I'm going to say there's something about opening the book with it. It's got your notes in it and, and your marks and, and your sticky tabs. And, and you get to the place where, man, you know that book in and out because you spent so much time in it. 
We've got to get back to that. I'll talk more about that next week, and I won't shame all the technology people. John 5. I might a little bit. John 5. Study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. When we study the Bible, we're learning about him. The last one for this mini-sermon is live the word of God. You got to love it. You got to learn it. And then, and then there's a call to action like, hey, we got to do something with it. We've got we've to live it out. Psalms 119 says this, talking to the young people today, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? Well, by living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart in, in that I might not sin against you. Can I give you some parenting advice for a moment? I'm not a pro parent. We have three kids. I have an eight-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old. But one of the things that I know from my own upbringing is that when you put the word into the kids, guess what? You put it in them, and you put them in them, and you put it in them, and you put it in them, and you teach them to study it and to learn it and to love it. When they leave your house, guess what? It's planted in them. There's so many people say, oh, I'm deconstructing my faith right now. That's a big topic in Christian young people's circle. I'm deconstructing. I don't believe what my parents taught me. Well, you can, destruct, you can deconstruct your faith, but you can't deconstruct the word. Amen. That word is forever settled and planted in you. I'll be honest with you. I don't even know that you have the ability to uproot it. It's eternal. So I'm going back to Staley, spending time in the Word. Psalms 119 said, your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Yeah. It's a lamp to my feet. It, 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 it gives light. It gives direction. And I want to say this at the beginning of this, this message series here today. You know, when I, when I talk about you studying the Word and, and, and you uh, uh, um, knowing the Word and reciting the Word and speaking the Word and living the Word and loving the Word... I am talking about you, but I'm really not talking about you. Because here's the thing. You and I are called to be light outside of this house. So when I talk about the importance of the word for your life, yes, I think you should. For you, you should be selfish with it. But it actually goes beyond that. You actually have a responsibility now as a believer to be light somewhere else. So here's the thing. You don't get to opt out of this and fulfill your purpose. It coincides with what he's called you to do. You're going to have to have the word for yourself, for you and your family, but also now so you can give it away to somebody else. Amen. Some of you meet with people all the time, neighbors, friends, coworkers, who they're stuck, and, and you, you come home, and you're like, I just don't know what to tell them. I want to I help them, but I, but I don't know how. I want to tell you, it's not going to be in your natural mind that you have any help to give them. It's going to come out of your spirit from where you planted the word. And in those moments, all of a sudden, you're going to be in those situations, and they're going to say, well, what do you think? And you're going to be like, um, and the Holy Spirit out of you is going to draw up scriptures that they need to hear in that moment for them. I've said it to you before. This church does not exist for you. It exists for those that aren't here yet. This isn't a country club where we sit in the same seats and we pay our dues and we have our thing and it's us and no more. No, no, no. We're here to get fueled up, fired up so we can go back out and bring others to Christ as someone did for us. Amen. So we're going to love the word. We're going to study the word. We're going to live the word. So let's switch now. Let's talk about what is the Bible? Who's it for? Who wrote it? Why, why should I believe it? 
There's all kinds of other books and philosophies and, and, and doctrines out there. So what, what makes the book so important? The book is, is so simple. It's 66 books about one man named Jesus. Some of us think that the New Testament is just about Jesus. Did you know the Old Testament is the prophetic about the Messiah coming? And then you flip to the New Testament, it's like, he's here. And it's all the stories about what happened. And it's like, whoa, whoa, wait, that was true. 66 books about Jesus. The Bible was written, I love this, not by one man. It was written by many people, by poets, prophets. It was written by farmers. It was written by kings and soldiers, shepherds, princes, priests, historians, fishermen, tax collectors, scholars, businessmen, and doctors. Man, God used all kinds of people. He inspired them to write his word through their life. And it wasn't written in one little sitting. It was written in caves, ships, palaces, prisons, and deserts. I got to be honest with you. I read that. I'm like, I want to know more about this book. I want to know more about this book. And so I want to take a few minutes today and talk about why I believe that the Bible can be trusted. Why the Bible can be trusted. Everybody say, I can trust the Bible. Matthew 24, verse 35 says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The Bible is the only thing that will last forever. And so I want to talk about uh, seven convincing truths. And, and I'll be honest with you, this was a difficult message for me to put together because I'm not a historian, I'm not a, um, uh, an apologist, but I've been listening and, and reading, and so I pulled a bunch of truths together from people that I trust, and I want to give them to you. You ready? Y'all ready? Number one, I believe the Bible can be trusted because it's historically accurate and it was meticulously preserved. Psalm 33, 4 says, for the word of God is right and true. It was right and it's true. If you know uh, me, and, I, and you do because you come here, I, I love antiques, I love old stuff. And the thing that's important about an antique is, is it authentic? Where did it come from? How'd you get it? What did they say about it? And when people study history and they're trying to give historical accuracy, they actually have created now what's called a historical accuracy standard. Historians use three standards to prove that something historically happened or it's historically accurate. And the Bible meets all three of them. Number one, eyewitness accounts. Number two, recorded and copied with extreme care. And the third one is archaeological confirmation. And I'm going to take you through this just for a minute. Eyewitness accounts. We can trust the Bible because just simply opening the four books of the New Testament, we call them the Gospels. You read the story from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four dudes that hung out with Jesus for three and a half years, and yet they were writing on their own and not discussing what they were writing. And when you read their stories, they all tell the same story. Like no other religion has that where it's just one man's opinion. But here we find Matthew said this about Jesus. We look over in Mark. He's saying the same thing. Dad, I was there. That actually happened. Luke and then John. I'm going to tell you this. If you don't believe anything else I say today, just go read the four Gospels and you'll know. Man, they are so, uh, um, what's the word? They, they fit together like tongue and groove. Just with different perspectives. Matthew is a tax collector. His perspective was different than Luke the doctor. They've been recorded by multiple eyewitness accounts. The second one is they were recorded with extreme care. Everybody say extreme care. I did some study on this, and theologians believe 
that God picked the Jewish people specifically to, to write the Bible because they had the most accurate scribes in the world. The Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Everybody say the Torah. This is the first five books of the Bible. You know, a lot of times they, people say, oh, the translations are off. You know, they translate it to here and they translate it to there. And I'm going to talk about translations next week. But here's what I'm trying to get at. A lot of things are translated by phrases. And then a real accurate one would be like if they translated it word for word, right? But the Torah, if you go back and study, it's not translated phrases by phrases or word by word. They were so meticulous, it's letter by letter it was translated. You can trust the Bible. It was translated with extreme care and accuracy. And the third one is the archaeological confirmation. I was reading about this in 1948. You already know this if, if you're one of these people. But the Dead Sea Scrolls, they're the oldest manuscripts that, that we've ever found. And in 48, they uncovered these caves and they pulled them out. And guess what? It was, it was the Bible. Like written down. People like, oh, I don't believe the Bible. That's okay. You don't have to believe the Bible. It's actually true. It's like, the little, it's like the little girl, I hope y'all laugh at jokes, it's like the little girl who, she went to school, Elio, you'll love this one, she went to school and she, she wrote a, a paper on, on uh, Jonah and the whale, a research paper, and she brought it in and the lady said, well, why, why'd, you write a, why'd you write a paper on Jonah and the whale? And she said, because it's true. And she said, well, how do you know it's true? And the little girl said, well, well when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask him. And she said, well, what if he's not in heaven? What if he's in hell? And she said, well, then you can ask him. <laughs> Sorry, we needed some humor in here for a second. We say, oh, it's not true. In those dead sea scrolls, over 800 documents, mainly consisting of Hebrew writings on leather and some parchments, they include fragments of 190 biblical scrolls Almost every book from the Old Testament is in those scrolls. I want to tell you, you can trust it because of that. Number two, you guys still awake? Number two, the reason we can trust the Bible, it's scientifically accurate and ahead of its time. You know, this last season for us as a globe of humanity, we hear a lot about science. Everybody's talking about science. We were told, trust the science. Tired of hearing that yet? Trust the science. Uh, you know, the truth is, is you can trust science for today, but it doesn't mean you can trust it for tomorrow because science is always changing. I said science is always changing. How do you know that? Well, let's go back and look at our third grade science books and let's see if we're still teaching that to kids. I don't think we are. My, my, my computer science class in 1994 when I graduated, I guarantee you technology is way beyond that now. Science is always changing, but the Bible's not. Psalms 148, listen to this. Let every created thing give praise to the Lord. For he issued his command and they came into being. Listen to this. He set these things in place forever and ever. His decree will never be revoked. For a book that's 1,600 years old, there should be something by now that needs to be corrected or updated, but there's not. It's as true then as it is today. There's a if you've ever been to Paris, the Louvre, the, the Louvre in Paris, an amazing place. They have a vault at the Louvre. And it's a place that they keep old science books that are outdated. And, and over the centuries, they've, they've collected 3.5 miles of books, science books that are no longer relevant, and they've put them in this vault so that nobody has to read that anymore. 
One of those books, listen, one of those books was written by a French Academy of Science in 1861. And the title of the book was this, 51 Incontrovertible Scientific Facts That Prove the Bible's Wrong. That's in the Louvre in Paris. Guess what? They've had to put that book away because every one of those 51 facts, they've been discovered. They're actually true. We could trust the Bible. In those vaults are some crazy scientific things that we believed for years. Listen, I want to give you a few of them so you can understand how, how crazy this is. Uh, a, few, a few scientific books that were important in their day, but now we consider them obsolete. Uh, uh, one of them uh, is a book that contains a theory that the, that the earth is flat. Some of you are laughing, but there's a whole new group of people, flat earthers, it's kind of resurging again. Galileo, uh, Copernicus, they thought that if you sailed a boat to the edge of the earth, you'd fall off. And they wrote books about it, and really all they needed to do was go back and look at the book of Isaiah. Because Isaiah 40, 22 says, uh, God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. That word circle, it, it, it means a sphere, not flat. It's where we get the word globe. Guess what? Good thing we're not teaching our kids that anymore. But all we had to do was go to the Bible to find that out. How about this one? The theory that the earth had to be held up. For, for, for 4,000 years, people believed that the earth had to be held up. Listen to this. The Greeks believed that it sat on Atlas's shoulders. Hindus believed and still believe. That it sits on the back of an elephant, on the back of a sea turtle, standing on the back of a sea serpent swimming through the ocean. The Egyptians believed for many years that it was held up by five pillars. And all these scientists and philosophers, all they had to do was go to the oldest book in the Bible, Job. It's in Job 26, uh, verse 7. He says, he spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. Atlas ain't holding it, no snake serpent, and no five pillars. It's because of his words he created the universe. The God that created you and I spoke into existence this ball of mud that we float around on for 80 plus years. Guess what? I got faith in that. How about one more, one more scientific fact that was de debunked and thrown away is, is that stars could be counted. Hipparchus in 150 B.C., he, he wrote a, a document. He said, I counted them all. It's documented. Go Google it today. He said, there's, the, there's a 850 stars. And then 300 years later, Ptolemy came and he said, no, he's wrong. I counted them. He was a little short. There's 1,025 stars. Today you can Google, I did this morning, you can Google how many stars are in the sky. This is Google's answer. Somewhere over 200 billion trillion. I didn't need science to tell me that. The Bible says it right here in Jeremiah 33. The stars of the sky can never be counted. You can trust it. Science is changing. The word is never. How about this one, number three? The Bible is prophetically accurate. You can trust it because in the Old Testament, there's, there's 800 plus, I think it's almost 900 prophecies about the Messiah. And, and, and one person fulfilling eight of those prophecies, listen to this, if one person fulfilled eight of those prophecies, the odds would be one in 10 to the 17th power. That's 
Three, six, nine, twelve, fifteen, eighteen zeros. If he only fulfilled eight. If he fulfilled 16, it would be one in tenth to the 45th power. And if he fulfilled up to 48 prophecies, let's just give him that. If he filled 48 prophecies from the Old Testament about who he was in the New Testament, it'd be one in ten chance to the 157th power. It's 150 zeros behind that one. The truth is, he didn't fill only eight or 16 or even 48 prophecies. It's documented Jesus fulfilled over 324 prophecies related to him being the Messiah. We can trust the word of God. It's true. Matthew 26 says this, all things are happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as they recorded the scriptures. Let me give you a couple more and I'll let you go home. The, the fourth reason I believe we can trust the word being true and staple and foundation for our life is it carries a cohesive message. The Bible was written over a period of 1,600 years. A dozen different countries on three continents by 40 people in three languages. And when you put all their books together, guess what? They're all telling the same story. Not one of them had to be pulled out and said, that doesn't fit. That's not what. It's, it's like when you put them together, it's like a puzzle. It's like from start to finish, all 66 books, tongue and groove, God's plan for man, his love for us, and the gift that his son Jesus was to be for us and now is in us. Here's my favorite one, the, the main reason you can believe, number five, the, 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 the main reason you can believe the Bible's true is because Jesus believed it was true. Think about in Jesus' time, he didn't have the New Testament. He was the New Testament. So he had the old covenant. And he was raised in a Jewish family where they learned the Torah, they learned the scriptures, they learned about the Messiah, and he preached about those scriptures as the Messiah. He believed them himself. I'll say this to you. Man, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. I don't need to take someone else's word for it, some philosopher, some idiot on YouTube. I, 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 don't, I don't need all that. What does Jesus say? Did he believe it? He actually lived it out so that more stories could be written about it. Matthew 5 says, Jesus said, I tell you, I truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until it's all been accomplished. Jesus can trust it. We can trust it. Let me put a little caveat in here for you. If, what you be, if you believe what you like in the Bible, but don't believe what you don't like, it's not the Bible you trust in. It's yourself that you trust in. I meet people all the time that they want to debate scriptures and whether it's applicable or that was for somebody else. Listen, it's all applicable. All scripture was God breathed for you. We love to say scriptures are for somebody else. Oh, that must be for my buddy Michael. That don't apply to me. No, 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 bro. You, you don't get to pick and choose. And those of us that have picked and choose, you're not saying that he's God. You're saying you're God. I want to tell you this. When you learn to love it and you study it, you realize every bit of it's true and it's for me. Here's one more. The, the Bible, number six, has, has survived all attacks 
thousands and thousands a year. The Bible's the most despised, derided, denied, disputed, dissected, debated, outlawed, and destroyed book ever. There's no book that's been more controversial in the history of mankind. In fact, there were so many people that thought it would just outdate itself. Voltaire, in his season, he said, this is his quote, within a hundred years, the Bible will be forgotten. The only thing that's been forgotten from him is that quote. He's gone, the Bible's still here. 1 Peter 1.24 says, the grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let me pause right here before I give you the last point. I'm going to ask you three questions for homework. You didn't know you were getting homework today, but you are. Will you attack God's word or will you live by it? You have a choice. Will you deconstruct his word or will you defend it? You get to choose. Will you follow the word or will you follow the world? The truth is you can't do both. We're either word first people or we're world first people. I must say, for me and my house, we've chosen to follow Christ. We've chosen to follow His Word. It holds a supreme authority in our life. Number seven and my final one, why you can trust the Word of God, it's because it has the life-changing power in it. No other book can take you from darkness to light. No other book can take you from sadness to gladness. No other book can take you from death to life. No other book can take you from sickness to health. No other book has the power in it that came through the resurrection of Jesus, which was prophesied thousands of years before he even showed up. John 8 says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. In a moment, I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to ask you, do you know Jesus? And I'm going to give you the opportunity to be free from whatever may be holding you back and restricting you from your full potential. I want to say this to you so you hear me say it. As your pastor and your friend, God loves you so much that he gave you a book to tell you how amazing you are. When you look at the life of Jesus and we, and we celebrate all that, guess what God sees when he sees us? He sees Jesus in us. And so here's what happens when you learn to love the Word and study the Word. It becomes like a mirror. James says when you look into it, you see yourself in it. It gives you a different image. It gives you a different perspective on what the world says you are or who you should be. And for a generation right now, it's so important that the Word moves forward because the world is trying to box them in and define them or even let them choose. And I got to tell you this. We don't have that authority in our life because God chose us. I've said this before. Some of us like, like to tell our story about when we found Jesus. You didn't find Jesus. He found you. And if He found you and He saved you, then this book is the, is the guide to how to be everything He sees you to be. Maybe you're struggling with a mental image of yourself. Maybe you're suffering with anxiety or fear or depression based on what the pressures of the world are. I want to tell you when you get in the book, 
truth comes and freedom is released. Would you pray a prayer with me today? I want to lead you in a prayer with your heads bowed. Would you just say this out of your heart today? Say, Father God, from this day forward, I will accept the Bible as your flawless word to me. And I will make it a final authority for my life. Even when I don't understand it. Even when it's not popular. Even when it's not easy. Or when I don't like it. You are God and I am not. Thank you for loving me enough to speak to me through your word. I want to love your word. I want to learn your word. And I want to live your word. Your head's bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe that's the first time you've ever said a prayer like that. The Bible says that Jesus came, God's son came to earth to put you and I back in relationship with him. The story goes that sin separated us. God created us and, and man allowed sin to put a wedge between us and him. And the only thing that would bring us back is Jesus coming and paying the price for that sin. You can read it all through the Gospels. He did. He walked as a sinless man for 33 years. He sacrificially gave up his life so his blood could be poured out to cover the sins of all humanity, past, present, and future. The Scripture also goes on to say that if you and I would open our lives and invite him in, we'd be saved in a moment. One verse says that we would be recreated in a moment, that your spirit would be changed brand new, like having a rebirth all over again, start over. For some of you here today, you've been searching for truth, you've been searching for light, hope, and wholeness, and I'm going to tell you, you can keep searching as long as you want, but if you stop and give God a moment, He is the answer you're looking for. If you're in this room and you say, man, I need that Jesus in my life, I just want to lead you in a simple prayer. I'm not going to make you go to a back room. I'm not going to. I'm not going to call you down front. I won't embarrass you. But if you're here today, you say, Pastor, I need Jesus in my life. I need hope again. I need freedom and I need truth. Would you just put your hand up and wave it at me? Just wave it at me. I see you. Yes, 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 yes. So many hands. Yes, yes. I see you all the way in the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, so many people. Yes, I see you back there. Just wave it at me. Say, Pastor, include me in that prayer. I see you right here, right down front, buddy. I got you. Yes, ma'am. I see you over here. Yes, ma'am, I see you. I see you guys over here on the left. If you're watching online, let us, let our friends know in the chat box. Just say, hey, would somebody pray with me? We've got a trained team. They're right there online with you. They want to lead you in this prayer. Anybody else? Last call. Put your hand up and say, I need Jesus today. I see you all the way in the back. Yes, sir, I got you. I got you. Yes, ma'am. Right here on the second row, I got you. Oh, I'm so happy right now. Would you do this whether you raised your hand or maybe you didn't. Maybe you're too embarrassed. I'm cool with that. I probably wouldn't raise my hand either. Here's, here's what you can do. You can just pray this prayer with us. All across this room, whether you raised your hand or, or you should have, just say this, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Enough to send Jesus. I believe. I believe. He's your son. I believe he died on the cross. I believe that he paid for my sin. 
And, and I believe that he was resurrected from the dead so that I can have supernatural power right now, today, right here. So today, I choose Jesus as the Lord and Savior of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Would you make some noise for all those that prayed that prayer today? God bless you guys.